0: Well, my name is Luke. I'm the, uh, one of the associate pastors here at the Remnant. Um, had the privilege of getting to speak this morning. And you guys, if you're new here, if this is your first time, don't judge your first time off of me. Todd will be back next week, so it'll be just fine. So uh, just grin and bear it. It'll be okay. But um, I wore this shirt this morning because it goes along with what we're going to be talking about this morning. A lot of us, in a lot of ways, will say, hey, I'm okay. Things are all right. I'm good, right? When really on the inside, what's going on, there is a dumpster fire burning. But what do we do? We're not going to tell anybody, right? Because if we tell anybody, well, we're going to be different than anybody else, right? Well, they've got their life put together. They know what's going on. They've got things happening. They understand what the world is like. Well, I can tell you guys right now, my life sometimes feels like a dumpster fire. And there are times when it feels that way and there's not anything wrong with that. Those are the times that we need to make an evaluation and go, why is my life like this? Why do I feel like this? Why is my life seem out of control? Well, this morning, that's what we're gonna talk about. I want us to do an evaluation this morning as we go through God's word, and I want you guys to really think about where you are right now, whether you're single, you're married, you have a family, you have kids, you don't have kids, all of this is is applicable this morning but we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai and I know some of you guys might be going the book of what? What are you guys talking about? The book of where? So, if you'll open your bible with me to the table of contents, right? We'll find Haggai together and we'll get started. If you go in the Old Testament, look between Zephaniah and Zechariah, Haggai sits right there in between. And that's where we're going to be this morning. And the application for us this morning as families is even if you don't have kids, like I said, if you're single, <laughs> Are we building God's house at our address? That's what I want to ask this morning. And this is so crucial for us today because when we let priorities get further to one side than what they should be, that's where we start running into problems. We start running into trouble. We start thinking, why does my life seem like a dumpster fire, right? Why is this going on? So if you guys will follow along with me, Haggai Chapter 1. We're going to be doing the entire first chapter, but just verse 1. God's word says In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtil, governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Now, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of words going on. We've read in men's group just in 2 Samuel where somebody says, hey, I'll read. Then you start reading and go, I shouldn't have read this one. Because you get all the names and you go, man, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have picked this one. But I just want to give you guys some background here. Uh, I'm a history guy. For some of you that don't know that, I love the history. I love Old Testament. Um, it's, it's my favorite Huge history guy, I love to understand why this is the way it is. Well, it's because we come from here. So just to give you a little background uh, on Haggai a little bit, as a result of this proclamation from the Persian king Cyrus, Israel was allowed to go back to the land from Babylon. Okay? There was about 50,000 Jews that returned, and this was about 66 years after the capture from Nebuchadnezzar. So they've been in captivity for 66 years. They were allowed to come back, and that was after the destruction of the temple. So they were brought into captivity. The temple's destroyed. Now they're free to go. They're free to come back. And they were under that civil leadership of Zerubbabel and then the spiritual guidance of Joshua. And they began to rebuild the temple. And this is, this is what's crazy is they, re, they begin to rebuild it, but then they start to come up on opposition. They start to come up on that opposition from... Neighbors, right? They come into the opposition amongst themselves, and what do they do? They abandon the work that they started. They got started, and they just stopped. It wasn't until 16 years later, this is what's crazy, 16 years later, the Lord commissioned Haggai and Zechariah to stir up the people and to get them to reorder their priorities. It's time to get things back in line. Now, I know you guys like lists, So we'll be making some lists today, but what I want you guys to do is we're going to be going through one topic at a time, and I want you guys to make a list. Use your smartphones or your devices or your notepads if you're old school. I want you guys to make a list as we go along, and I just want you guys to do an evaluation. And I want you guys to think and be honest with yourself where you're at, because here we sit at the end of this series of kings and queens, right? Right? Pastor Todd has done a wonderful job. I don't know about you guys, man. I felt convicted the whole time. Great messages. Have enjoyed every single bit of it. And to kind of put a cap on the end of this, I don't know if I'm going to put a cap on the end of it, but I want us to look as families, if we're to live like kings and queens, and as he preached last week about heirs, how are we doing that? If we're living as kings and queens, does our house look that way? Are we teaching our heirs to live the same way? Are we teaching them what God's word tells us and how we should live? So if you'll follow along with me, I want you to read verses two through four with me. Verses two through four, says, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts, "'These people say the time has not yet come "'to rebuild the house of the Lord. "'Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, "'the prophet, is it time for you yourselves "'to dwell in your panel houses While this house lies in ruins. So, the first thing I want you guys to look at right off the bat is the word neglect. I want you to see how God addresses the neglect right off the bat. He addresses that immediately. And despite a pretty good start, right? They got started, but what happened? Opposition pops up, and what do they do? They get a little bit down, they get a little bit discouraged, and the work stops. It derailed their focus. So the first thing I want to ask you guys have we stopped working on God's house? And I don't mean here, I mean at home. Have we stopped working on God's house? Did we start strong? Have you let opposition pull you away from the build? Did you start good and let others change your focus? Did you start and let the world influence your direction? Did you let the opinions of others outweigh God's opinion? And have we gotten so discouraged and decided that it's easier to work on our house than it is to work on God's house? God addresses this neglect right off the bat. So, what are we neglecting? What are we neglecting to do to ensure that we build God's house? Because we can get so busy with the busyness of our family. Anybody in here that has a family understands that. You can get so busy with the busyness of your house that you forget to get busy for God. Things of the house start to take over. And what happens is then our neglect to build God's house turns our focus into building our own paneled house. And that's where we stay in that little comfort zone, right? And this can mean an overemphasis on anything. It can mean your job, your money, your possessions, your kids, or even your grandkids. This can take precedent over all of that stuff. So here's what happens. Things like family prayer times, family devotions, serving others as a family, being regularly involved in church, or even just teaching and training your kids in your house will take a back seat because we get so busy with our life. We forget that it's about building God's house and we can get in that rat race of just going back and forth and back and forth and what happens then before we know it we don't even see what our focus should be all we see is we just got to keep going keep going well, what are you going for what's your purpose what are you doing this for And what happens is these things end up getting neglected because, frankly, at the end of the day, it's too hard to build God's house. Because if I have to put the effort into building God's house, then I can't do anything in my world. And that makes it too hard. God's word never promised this would be easy, did he? He never promised this would be easy. He promised it would be worth it, but he never promised it would be easy. So I'm going to step on some toes here, stepping on my own here, all right? So parents, do we let our kids' extracurricular activities like sports or hobbies come before any of this stuff? Guilty, right? Even if you're single, okay, or you don't have kids, do the pursuits of your life come before any of this stuff? Do you see yourself chasing these things? Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with your kids being in sports, having hobbies. Lord knows my kids are in that, right? There's nothing wrong with having hobbies and doing things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is when those start to take precedent over the things of God and the things that we should be teaching our kids, then it becomes a problem. I know I've fallen into that trap. I don't know about anybody else, but I've fallen into that trap. Anybody who's got more than than one kid in here, if they're playing sports, you're just going like crazy back and forth. And what happens? That becomes your world. You divide and conquer. You and your wife leave the house at 4 o'clock and say, hey, I'll see you when we get in bed. Those days happen. But if we do that, what are we doing? What are we teaching our kids? So if our kids see their self as the center of the universe, they don't understand the order of things in the house, do they? And as a family, the order of the house goes, God, your spouse, your kids, right? Sorry, kids, that's the way it goes, unfortunately. The Bible tells me I'm to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? I'm supposed to love him above everything, so I have to love him above my spouse and my kids. That's hard to say. Are we letting these things come before teaching the things of God? And I'll revert to it right now, Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. You guys should have it up there, I believe. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So I'm going to ask you, does this sound like your house? My wife calls me out all the time. I love how the Holy Spirit uses my wife because a lot of times I don't want to pay attention. Sometimes I just go, great, here we go. My wife has called me out on more than one occasion of saying, you know, you spend all this time teaching at church, you spend all this time teaching in the jail, you spend all this time helping other people to learn and understand God's word. We don't get that at home. And that's shame on me because I do that. And I get to the point where I do that that I forget that my biggest focus of teaching should be teaching my wife and my children. And I, I don't. I get bad about it. I get into a mode of, hey, these people need it, these people need it, these people need it. In the meantime, the most important people in my life aren't getting it. And I hate when she calls me out because then I'm like, I have to admit that She's right. And as a husband, you know we don't like to admit that, right? That's... So here's another thing I'm going to ask, spouses. Colossians three eighteen through twenty one. Guys have that one too. You don't have that one. I have that one up there. That's all right. So Colossians three eighteen through twenty one. It says, "Wives, submit to your husbands." Oh boy, as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. So I'm going to ask you, how are you doing with these? How are these going at your house? Are you focused on these things at your house? Are you building God's house? Are you busy with your paneled house? Where's your focus lie? So I'll start with the spouses. Are we neglecting to show a godly love to our spouses? How are we doing with that? Do we neglect to speak to them with love and tenderness? Do we neglect to see them the way God sees them? That's a rough one. Or do we try to fit them into our ideal spouse instead of treating them as the gift of God that they are? Anybody run into that trouble with their spouse? It's like, if you would just do this the way I I want you to do it, it would be a lot better for both of us. No, wouldn't it be a lot better for you? Because you're just being selfish. Yes, I want everything my way. I will admit that. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I want everything my way. So do I want my wife to do things how how I want? Yes. I will admit that. Is that wrong? Absolutely, that's wrong, and that's sinful. Do we do that? Are we struggling with that? How about listening? Do we neglect to listen the way God listens to them? Or do we criticize what they have to say? Are we paying attention? Or are we just waiting for our chance to jump into the conversation? Dads, are you showing your children the time and attention that they need? Are we teaching them the things of God? Are we showing them what a godly husband and father looks like? And are we treating them like the heirs that they are? Moms, that goes for you, too. Are you doing the same? There comes a time, right, any parent will say, well, when my kid gets to this age, they've pretty much got it figured out. I'm 40, and I still need my mom and dad, and I still need them to teach me. It never stops. It never stops. I still need that guidance. Do I think my dad sometimes is kind of off his rocker? Yes, I'll admit that. I do. I look at my dad sometimes and go, that's not going to be me, is it? I do. But are we doing this? Husbands, wives, are we doing these things? If we're doing these things, we need to stop. If we're not doing them, we need to get to work. Moms and dads same thing we need to be getting to work if you're doing these things great if you're not get to work we all need to be reminded of this kids hey I didn't forget you I'm not letting you off the hook either because I know you all are listening too. okay God's Word isn't just for your mom and dad it's for you too so I didn't forget you are you obeying your parents let me ask you this are you obeying your parents the way you should are you doing it with the right heart are you doing it just so you don't get a spanking because there's a difference are you respecting your parents? Are you showing them that respect, the respect that an heir should show? Mom and dad still have to show respect. So should you. Are you showing them that? Right? These are just some things, guys, that keep us from building God's house. These are things that will hinder what God wants us to do as a family. So when we do these things, our kids see it. So, again, I'll ask men, do our children see what a godly husband and father looks like? And ladies, do they see what a godly wife and mother looks like? Because it's got to start with us. It has to be us. It has to be us. If you're truly a king or a queen, are you training the next generation of kings and queens is what it comes down to. Are you doing that? Because our kids are the next generation. What they see from us is what they will mimic. They will. They will do it. How are we doing at that? Don't listen to me, parents. It's not our job to make sure our kids have everything we didn't have growing up. That is not our job. It is not our job to do that. Okay? Kids, I want to make sure that you want to make sure that you heard that, okay? It's not mom and dad's job to make sure you have the latest, greatest things, right? I'm talking like text devices, video games, clothes, shoes. It's not mom and dad's job to make sure you have all that stuff. It's not. Kids, do you realize that mom and dad really only have to provide you with three things? I gotta make sure you have food, you got a place to stay, and you got clothes. Everything else is a bonus. That's their job. Mom and dad, it's our job to make sure they know about Jesus. If we truly love our kids, they better know about Jesus. I spent the early part of my kids' life not teaching them about Jesus. My kids need to know about Jesus. Your kids need to know about Jesus. Second thing I want you to notice, this is, this is one of the scariest phrases in the text here. Verse 2. He addresses them as these people, and this is scary to me because he doesn't address them as my chosen people, my children, the elect, sons, daughters, nothing. He says these people, and if you read that text and you read it that way, you can read in a way that just sounds like disappointment. Verse 2, he says again, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. He addresses them with that disappointment. Why? These people. These people say it's not time. Well, they sure got enough time to get to work on their own house. How come they quit working on my house? They kind of hear that disappointment from God. Anybody ever have anybody in their life where if they addressed you in a certain way, you could hear the disappointment in their voice? Anybody? Anybody have that person? Yeah, I have that person. My grandpa hall... Big burly guy, at least when I was little. He doesn't seem so big now, but big burly guy, farmer. We were over there always in the summer times, working with him, doing stuff with him. And whenever you got into trouble, your name escaped his lips. You just always became kid. The minute you did something wrong, it was usually usually followed by a couple of choice words. Um, But then you get the word kid. And you automatically felt about this big and wanted to climb into a hole because you knew you had done something to disobey. And this is what this makes me think of. Is he addressing these people, when he or addressing the Israelites when he says, these people say, they say it's not time. Who are they to decide? They started already, why'd they quit? I'll tell you why they quit. Because they got lazy and it got too hard and they wanted to work on themselves instead of working on my house. I wonder how many times God's looked at my family and thought, man, these people. Because I know I've given him a reason to do that. I know I have. I gave him years of reasons to do that. He says, these people. So let me ask you before we move on to the next one. Are you, what are you neglecting? And are you neglecting, if you're honest? That's the first one I want to leave you with today. Are you neglecting to do the things that you're supposed to to build a godly house? And if you are neglecting them, what are they? Think about that. So let's look at verses 5 through 7. Let's move on. God gives them a warning here. So he addresses the neglect right off the bat and says, Hey, you're neglecting to do what I want you to do. And then he gives them a warning. Verses 5 through 7. He says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So in these three verses, God turns his attention to the warning signs, right? They're misplaced priorities, so to speak. God says, consider your ways. Here's something for you. In Hebrew, it literally means put your heart on the roads. You better consider which direction you're going. You better think about what you're doing. God's saying, consider what direction you're going, and do you really want to continue down this road? Anybody ever heard the phrase, you really want to ride this train? Yeah. you want saying, do you want to keep going down this down this road? Because if you do... There's going to be trouble. So have you considered your direction? Because your direction is the direction your children are going to go. How do you want that to look? What direction do you want that to be? And are you leading them or are you showing them? And, and what I mean by that is I can show my children what direction that I want them to go. And so can you. You can tell your kids, whoa, I about fell off there. You can tell your kids, Walk down there and walk out that door. I want you to walk and go right out that door. And when they get out the door, they're going to turn around and go, well, where do I go from here? And they're going to wind up getting lost. What happens when they get lost? Well, they don't have any way to go. They don't know where to go. They don't even know what to do. Our children don't need to be told what to do. They need to be led in how to do things. We have to lead our children. We have to lead them in the way that we want them to go. You can't just show them a direction, even if you have older kids, right? My dad would probably stand up here and be like, yeah, I could show him, but he's still dumb and he'd go the wrong way. They have to be led and shown both. Are you leading them or are you just showing them? And this part of the passage describes the idea, right, this quick-paced life. Anybody here remember the phrase or think of the phrase, man, the harder I work, the more behind I get. The more money I make, the less money I have. The more I try to accumulate, the less I seem to get. He tells them that right here in this passage. He says, you're so busy with your house. You're so busy trying to get the things that you want. What happens? You sow much and you harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. He says, you drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And then he says, he who earns wages does so to put it into a bag with holes in it. And then at the end of this, he says, consider your ways. He says it twice. Whenever God's word says something twice, you better pay attention. You want to know why? Because we didn't pay attention the first time. Are you chasing that? Does your life look like that? Do you see yourself getting further behind? Do you wonder why, gosh, I keep doing all this and nothing's happening? Why? Where's your focus? What are you doing? Is God trying to warn you and you're just not paying attention? Is he trying to get your attention? Where's your focus? You can run only so fast before you realize, man, the faster I go, the slower it seems to be. I can't get anywhere. I'm spinning in the mud. It doesn't matter what I do. Where's your treasure? Luke twelve thirty four. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your treasure a godly house? Is that what you desire? Do you desire to have that godly house? Do you want God to be the one that people see when they look at your house? Or are you selfishly seeking attributes for your family so people know who you are? This is my family. I hope you know who we are. Are you prioritizing that? And are you prioritizing a trust in yourself to build your paneled house because you don't trust God to do it? Do you get busy with that? Well, I need to take care of this because I, I don't know if God's going to come through this time. Do you, have a tr- do you have trouble trusting him? Do you prioritize your things over the things of God? And when we do that, we're not trusting him to supply all of our needs. We're trusting ourselves to do that. And he says right here, if you're going to try and do this stuff on your own, this is, this is a warning to you. You're never satisfied. You never have enough money. You never have enough stuff. You want to know why? Because you haven't got to work on my house. My house is laying here in ruins and you got all this. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Build his house and trust him to supply the needs of that house instead of relying on yourself to build it. Quit chasing after the things you think that you need to do and say, God, what do you need me to do? And he'll point you in the right direction. He'll supply your needs. He will take care of you. But the minute you start turning your focus inward on what you have to do and what you have to build, I'm telling you right now, it'll work for a while and then it'll start to fall apart. Because God is gracious, right? He's extremely gracious. gracious. So we can start doing things our way, right? And God will give us some grace. And then after a while, he'll go, hey, we need to start moving things back this way. And that can be subtle, and you can see it right away, or that can be a drastic 180 because you weren't paying attention. And he can do that. So that second question, I want to ask you, what warning signs in your life has God used or is he using to get your attention? And I'll ask you a couple of these questions. Has God used a certain situation? Do you have something going on in your life right now? What about His word? Are you in His word? you getting stuff out of His word that's making you question some stuff? What about a brother or sister in Christ? Have they held you accountable with stuff? Because that's always a lot of fun, right? When your brother or sister calls you out and you have to go, "Oh man. What about your spouse? Right? Has God used them, or even worse, what about your kids? What happens when your kids have to call you out? Is God using them to get your attention? Because see, if we fail to to see the warning signs or we just ignore them, what happens is God is left with no choice but to then try and get our attention. And how is he going to get our attention? Well, if we're not paying attention, things are going to get a little bit dicey, right? So let's take a look here, verse 8. Just verse 8, starting with the consequences here. Verse 8, he says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So first off, God's telling them to get to work so he'll be glorified. Just this verse right here. I want you to get to work so I'll be glorified. Go up, get wood, bring it down here, start building so I'll be glorified. Now, you think about it. These guys have been in captivity for almost 70 years. When they've come back, whatever trees were left are probably pretty tall by now, right? There's plenty of wood there to start rebuilding this stuff. They can get to work. They can start making it happen. He says, I want you to go collect this, start getting to work on my house and glorify me. And by the way, here's another thing. You better do it with the right heart. Don't do it because you're afraid that if you don't, that I'm going to spank you. Do it because you want to bring honor and glory to me. That's what God's saying. Go do that. Family priorities take work, right? And the work needs to be embraced by the whole family. It's got to be embraced by all of us. There's dedication to the plan, participation. Dad, it starts with you. Sorry, that's where it starts. If you don't like your job, eh, there's nothing we can do about that. That is your job. Mom, okay, it takes your support and encouragement too, right? This has got to be both. It has to be. Look at verses 9 through 11, right? If we neglect to do this stuff and we neglect the warning signs, the consequences follow. Listen to what happens here. Verses 9 through 11. He says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, and the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. God didn't say, Hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a few things and mess some stuff up. God said, I'm going to get your attention, I'm going to get your attention now. I want you to get to work for me. Build my house. Be a king. Be a queen. Show that you are mine and make your house resemble my house. But you're too busy with your house, so what do I have to do here? Well, he starts pulling everything. Everything started to fall apart. God called for a drought on their entire livelihood. This is everything that they had. When building God's house isn't a priority, the other priorities start to fall apart and they won't work. It will happen. Things work well for a little bit and then stuff starts to fade away. And here's even worse to add to the severity, right, of the consequences, this is what was even worse. This was brought on by God from God. This is not a Job situation. This is not something where God said, hey, you can go in and mess with them and I'll allow you to do this. God did this to them. If that doesn't scare you, I don't know what does. He says right here, I, right? I will do this. You look, you look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, what did he say? I blew it away. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. Verse 11, and then look at this. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all of their labors. This is God saying outright, if you won't do what I want you to do, I will take everything away from you. And this is the scary part. God has the right to do that. We can't even argue if he does that. If he takes it away because we're not paying attention, we can't be mad at God for that. Who do we have to be upset with? Ourself. These guys had an opportunity to get started, to get going, and they did. And then what happened? It got too hard. It was too hard. I don't have time to do that. I don't want to put in the effort. The last place any of us should ever want to be is on the other side of God's wrath when he decides he wants to dish it out. Man, I don't want to be there. He calls on this and pulls it all away from them, pulls every bit of their livelihood to get their attention. How bad off or how far off are they from doing his work and building his house and building their house that he has to take their entire livelihood? Don't let yourself get that far. And that could be anything in your life. It's his to begin with, right? We don't own it. If he wants to take it away, he can take it away. All God ever asks in return when we come to salvation is, just do what I want you to do. Be obedient and follow me. That's all I want from you. He wanted them to rebuild the temple. All they had to do was get to work on the temple. And what'd they do? Well, a little bit, but it's too hard. And I'm sure there were people there, if you think 66 years, there were people there who'd probably seen the temple before it was destroyed, And they'd come back, and they're like, ah, it'll never be like it was, so why even bother, and we're not going to do this, and we won't. Instead of just being obedient and going, hey, well, let's just get to work. I've seen how it was, but we're just going to go to it because I just want to honor God. I just want to glorify God. Are there consequences in your life? You got hardships that you're facing right now? You got droughts going on in your life right now? What does God put a stop? This is even worse. What does God put a stop to in your life to get your attention? Because if he has, pay attention. Repent. Say, okay, I'm going. I'm going. And get after it. But here's the great thing here God still loves him, right? God still loves you, okay? He's not just some kid with a magnifying glass that wants to burn a bunch of ants. He's not a mean guy, right? He still loves them. So look at their response. We'll finish out the chapter here. Look at their response, starting in verse 12. Okay? It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the, no pun intended, remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, And the people feared the Lord. So I'm going to stop right there. So you have them right off the bat automatically coming into a response from the Lord. They've seen what's happened. They know what's going on. They've seen their life turned upside down. And what is their response, right? It says that the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord right away. And they feared the Lord, not a fear of like you're scared of him, like you're afraid you're going to get spanked or you're going to get punished, an awe, a reverence. This is someone who is to be feared in a way that you give him respect, and he is to be revered, and you're in awe of who he is. Not to fear him like he's some kind of bully, because that's not how God is. Then verse 13 says then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message he says i am with you declares the Lord and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their god on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year Of Darius the king. Response? Pretty good, right? They heard the word of the Lord and went, Yeah, let's go. But here's something I want you to notice they didn't stir themselves up. It said the Spirit of the Lord stirred them up and got them to work. Why do you think the Spirit had to stir them up? Because left to ourselves, right? What are we going to do? We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And the Spirit stirs them up. Parents, obedience to building God's house has to start with us before our children will. It has to start there. They have to see it, not just hear it. Okay? Husbands, we're called to be the leaders. We've got to be the hardest working builders of God's house in our house. It is not our wife's job to work harder than we do at building God's house. It is not. Okay? Wow, that's, I just wanna stop right now. Like, I feel like I should just come off. It's not their job. Guys, we have to step up. It is our job. Our children will mimic what they see. What's your response today? Are you just gonna keep rolling in your house how things are going? Or are you gonna see that things need to change and let the Spirit of God stir you up and get you to work? You've got a choice. You don't have to, but at the end of the day, what do you want? Do you want him to stir you up and get you to work, or do you just want to keep struggling with the stuff you're struggling with right now? Don't sit around and complain how bad things are when you aren't willing to get up and do the things that need done to make them better. You have an opportunity. Remember that awe and reverence for God's house. The main focus, the main responsibility of our family is to teach our children and create a legacy of temple builders, so to speak. We have to teach them. Look at Psalm 103, 17 and 18. It says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to listen to this children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, right? We cannot be families full of good intentions, Okay? I'll tell you something right now. Hell is full of people with good intentions. We cannot be families with good intentions. We need to be families of action. God's not interested in good intentions. When I die and stand before my creator, I will not have the opportunity to say, God, well, I had the best of intentions to come to salvation and accept you as my Lord. That's not going to work. Action. God wants action. He stirred up the people. Look at verse 13. Look what God says. He says, I'm with you. And then verse 14, look what God does. The Lord stirred up the people and they got to work. God stirred them up. They didn't do it on their own. I want you to notice this. The power of God stirred up the people. The power of God changed their hearts. The power of God changed their attitude. And the power of God changed their focus. If it's not changing in your house it's because you're not letting God work in your life to change the things that need changed in your house. If you're a king or a queen, act like it. We're part of a <laughs> We're part of a kingdom that we can't even fathom and we take it for granted and don't treat it that way. We need to treat this as something that is extremely special and treat it in a way that our kids know we treat it that way so that they will treat it that way. I don't want to raise good children that love Jesus. I want to raise good adults that love Jesus. The only legacy I want to leave is that my grandkids and great-grandkids and on and on and on down the line that they know Jesus. I can't do that on my own, though. I need God to help me to do that. I need God to work in my life. I need to let God work in my life. I need to make sure I don't get too busy building my paneled house and I'm busy working to build God's house. If I'm a king, right, that means I get to live in God's house, right? Then I have an obligation to make sure and build his house here while I'm here. So the last thing I wanna ask you guys, what's your response to the first three this morning, right? Are you comfortable in that paneled house? Ask yourself that. Are you comfortable where you're at? If you've got these things going on in your life, I pray that you're not comfortable. I hope God's making you uncomfortable. Is the Lord stirring you up? I hope he is. Are you going to get to work? Are you guys just going to walk out of here today and go, well, that was really good. I feel inspired. And then nothing changes tomorrow. I want you guys to know that everything that God says for us and everything that God promises is 100% true. Todd talks about it every single week, right? If we can't trust it, what are we doing this for? If God wants us to get to work and do these things, then we need to get to work. And he'll provide what we need. We don't have to be the one trying to figure out how we're going to do this. We've got a pretty good instruction manual right here. It tells us how we need to do it. Don't worry about getting busy on your house. Worry about getting busy on God's house at home. Make sure people know that that's God's address. Make sure that they know that. Okay, And remember this. This is the greatest part. Remember, okay, as you're building God's house, remember that promise from him in verse 13. What's he say? Verse 13. Bring that back up if you guys would. Just verse 13. What does he say? He says, I am with you. You're not alone. No matter how hard it is, no matter how much struggle there is, he's still there. You're not by yourself. The king is not going to leave one of his heirs out there to fend for himself and not help him. God will help you, right? He gave us another promise, one more. Matthew chapter 28, right, 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, when? Till the end of the age. You don't have to believe me. Just his words right there. It's in black and white. He says, I'm with you until the end of the age. Your most influenced and most important disciples that God will ever give you is your children. It's your kids' And if you won't make disciples of Christ out of them, listen to me, please listen to me. If you won't make disciples for Christ out of them, the world will make disciples for Satan out of them. Do you hear me? Because he will. If we don't do the work, the world will do it for us. And you can, you can simply put it this way. You can either fight for what you want now or you'll fight against what you don't want later. I'll say that again. You can fight for what you want now or you'll fight against what you don't want later. God gives you that choice. What's your choice? What are you going to do? So if we're kings and queens, then we need to make sure we're doing the things that God says that we should do as kings and queens. Right? Honor our king with kingdom work and he'll honor us as the heirs that we are, simply. When we decide to neglect the things that God has us to do, you want to know what happens? We forfeit blessing. We willingly forfeit blessing. I would rather do what I want to do and not do what you want me to do, Lord. It doesn't matter what you have for me. I have a quote for you here before we're finished. Listen to this quote it says As society continues a mad quest to eliminate the family, it becomes more and more important than ever for Christians. To understand that the Bible teaches, sorry, what the Bible teaches about families and to put it into practice in our homes. It may well be that the example we show the world through our godly home and family will be so powerful and attractive and when the living truth of the Bible speaks, it speaks with the authority of God who created us and also whose design for the family is perfect. If we're going to make disciples of all nations like Jesus instructed us, we have to start at home and we have to build a godly house to make our disciples in. If we are going to change culture and change the way things looked, we can't be satisfied with that paneled house. We have to want our house to look like a house of God. And I don't mean here, I mean in our address. What does that look like? If you're not working, why not? If you are working, don't stop. Be encouraged this morning. God's with you, right? At the end of the day, he's with you no matter what's going to happen. He will give you the supply. He will give you the strength. He'll give you whatever you need to do this. Don't think you got to go at it alone. And at the end of the day, right, it's all about God's glory. If we want our house to resemble that, right, we do it for God's glory and nobody else's, right? God will honor us if we honor him. Right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Again, Father, we thank you for your word that promises us, number one, Lord, that you're with us no matter what. Father, I pray that you would help us to obey. Father, I help. pray that you would help us to be temple builders for you. Father, I pray that our home would be something that would bring honor and glory to you, that it would resemble a godly house, Father, that it wouldn't be just a place that gets filled with busyness, that just gets filled with the mundane, that just gets filled with routine. Father, that it would be a, a place of joy. Um, Father, a place that is filled with you. And Father, help us to not forget... Uh, Everything that we have, Lord, it belongs to you. It's given to us from you. Father, and that not only just our our things, but, Father, our children and our spouses, Lord, help us to remember that those are a gift as well and to treat them as such, Father. Lord, I pray you'd help each and every one of us, Father, to apply this to our life. Help us to take this and walk out of here today, Father. Help us to walk out convicted, Father, and want to get to work for you. Father, stir us up. Father, I pray you just continue to, to stir us up in this church. Father, keep doing what you do. And Father, just help us to obey and help us to follow. We thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for who you are and what you do for us, Father. And we love you in your name. Amen.